You're listening to the voice of dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. And today's story is Making a Delivery by Thomas Foe Steele. Writing across many genres, Foe's work has been published in numerous anthologies, including the Leo Award-winning The Electric Sewer by Thurston Howell Publications. You can find more of his work on Fair Affinity. Today's story will be read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. Please enjoy Making a Delivery by Thomas Foe Steele. The Roaring Twenties were in full bloom at the Black Ferret Bar. The atmosphere was jovial, bankers trading stock tips with lawyers who returned the favor with news of the latest decisions from the Court of Appeals. Inspector Jacques Ferrac Le Bleu leaned back, taking it all in. He was a fresh arrival in America, having come over from Paris via transatlantic Zeppelin the day before as part of a foreign exchange program. He still wasn't quite used to the weight of the NYPD shield tucked inside his canvas trench coat. What can I get you, cake eater? The bartender was a slender ermine in a slinky, ankle-length dress, a tiara studded with green paste gems sitting heavily on her brow. She wiped down a martini glass with a bar rag that looked like it was last washed when George Clemenceau was prime minister. You look like the type who'd endure French 75. I'll have some wine. Give me the best red you have. Jacques drummed his claws in the butcher block counter as the ermine grabbed a bottle from under the bar. Though he was hardly more than 160 centimeters tall, Jacques carried himself the nobility of the Ancien Regime. The dark plumage above his beak trimmed in a military style. His cane leaned against the bar, necessitated by an injury he'd suffered during the Great War. I can't promise it's good. The ermine deposited a chipped glass in front of him. Jacques leaned in and took a deep inhale as he gave it a brief swirl, a strong aroma of raisins rising up to his external nares. Well aware of the new American fad called Prohibition, Jacques knew he wouldn't exactly be getting the finest Bordeaux. Scratch that. I'm pretty sure that that wine is as bad as it gets. I'll toast to the Kaiser's health, then. With a grimace, Jacques slammed the wine back in a single gulp. It was sickly sweet, disgustingly so, forcing him to struggle on to vomit as he retched. After a brief struggle with his gag reflex, the wine mercifully trickled down his gullet. Dieu. Don't say I didn't warn you, the ermine grimaced. Might I suggest the French 75 a second time? That reprehensible excuse for wine makes cooking sherry look luxurious by comparison. Jacques ruffled his feathers and laid a silver dollar next to the glass. I'll take you up on that suggestion. You got it. Give me just a second, Buster. The bartender scurried away to serve another of the many creatures clamoring for a serving of eau de vie. Jacques fiddles with his ring, a hefty piece he'd fashioned from an old five-franc coin in the trenches of Verdun. He couldn't wait to wet his beak with a long draw of liquor. Judging by the raucous crowd around him, including several police officers he recognized, prohibition was not long for this world. You're not from around here, are you? An imposing wolf with a rectangular body placed a paw on Jacques' shoulder, digging his claws into his jacket. The wolf was well over two meters tall, with several furless patches on his muzzle, giving him a frightening battle-scarred appearance. A neat gray suit and a gold Triskelion tie pin signaled to Jacques that he was dealing with the Cosa Nostra. He was looking like a stool pigeon to me, little bird. Why don't you come with me, nice and easy now? The manager wants to talk with you. I am but a stranger in a strange land, monsieur. 
Jock spoke with a heavy French accent, the words flowing off his tongue like a silken crepe batter. His expression remained neutral as the wolf's hot breath tousled the feathers on his back of his neck. I am not here to disrupt the operations of this fine drinking establishment. I am merely a humble traveler in need of refreshment. Didn't you hear me the first time, bird brain? The wolf brusquely shoved Jock to dislodge him from his perch atop the bar stool. As Jock dug his claws into the counter to steady himself, the force of his jacket flapping about dislodged his shield. Clink. Their gaze went on the floor as the metal danced about on the tile, like a cub's toy. Oops. It came to rest with a high-pitched ring, NYPD insignia visible to all onlookers. The roar of conversation immediately dropped down to a whisper. As Jacques' hand darted down to wrap around his cane. It was a formidable-looking instrument, a hand-carved length of elderwood with a hooked handle, cast in the shape of an outstretched wing. I'll just see myself out, Jacques said as he hopped off the stool. Apologies for the commotion, monsieur. You ain't going nowheres. The wolf was joined by a tiger, with biceps the size of Jacques' thighs. Tiger cracked his knuckles as the wolf straightened his tie. We don't take too kindly to coppers around here, do we, Vinny? No, we don't. The tiger extended his claws. They were large as steak knives, with silver and gold inlay running their full length. Let's get em. There's no need to descend the fisticuffs. I'm sure we can talk this out. Jacques held his beak high, despite being dwarfed by the apex predators. His impeccably tailored gray suit was free of the slightest crease, a crisp blue linen square tucked into his breast pocket, adding a pop of color to his ensemble. He retrieved a pack of his favorite cigarettes, Galois, and stuck one into his beak as he stared them both down. Tread carefully. He who sows the wind shall reap the tempest. The wolf drew his fist back, winding up for a right hook. Employing the superior reaction time of an avian, Jock twirled his cane like a circus showman before lashing it against the wolf's knee with tremendous force. Letting out a howl that curled Jack's feathers, he dropped like a sack of potatoes. The tiger's courage seemed to fade, as Jock rested one hand on his cane, the other bringing a match to the tip of his cigarette. That looked painful. I suggest you let me leave before you suffer the same fate. Wheels turned in the tiger's head as Jacques straightened his back and bent his knees. Cigarette smoldering in his beak, a smoke bellowed from his nostrils like a coastal fog. The blue jay was totally in his element. As the tiger pivoted to throw a punch, he leapt backward onto the bar, sweeping his feathered arms downward for maximum lift. C'est fini, mon ami. I have that ground. You're really starting to make a nuisance of yourself. As the tiger started to climb to his level, Jacques flipped his cane around and used the handle to fire a pint glass at the tiger. Having grown up playing viciously competitive games of croquet, Jacques was an expert in accelerating small objects to high velocities. The glass hit the tiger square in the chest and detonated, knocking him backward as the dull brown liquid stained his shirt. I have the slightest idea what you mean. Moving with avian swiftness, Jacques dodged the tiger's deadly claws as he returned fire with half-full barware. The tiger took on the appearance of a bystander to a dye factory explosion as a variety of drinks drenched him. Though he slashed at Jock with wild abandon, he remained stubbornly out of range. From where I stand, you're the one ruining an otherwise pleasant evening. I'm gonna put you in an iron lung. As the tiger attempted to leap up onto the counter, Jock pitched a hefty ceramic beer stein at him with the power of Burley Grimes. 
yet smacked him dead center in the forehead with a wet thud. Tottering about with stars in his eyes, the tiger raised a paw, as if to compliment Jack on his aim, before collapsing backward onto the floor. Jack took a deep breath to regain his composure as he hopped down. All eyes in the half-empty speakeasy were locked on him. Leaning heavily on the cane as his knee creaked beneath him, he carefully straightened his pinstripe tie as his eye settled on an abandoned drink. As his claws wrapped around the glass, a sharp <clears throat> caught his attention. That's enough excitement for tonight. Go back to your drinks. A ferret enveloped in a cloud of acrid cigar smoke had suddenly appeared next to Jacques, his iridescent gold tie the only detail the blue jay could make out. Are you interested in making a little dough tonight, Lablo? I'll ignore what you just did to my boys if you're willing to cut a deal. My reputation precedes me. Jacques cocked his head as the bartender brought him a perspiring glass filled with neon pink liquid. Taking a cautious sip, Jacques realized the concoction bore a striking resemblance to the flavor profile of radiator fluid. What do you have in mind? I have a little proposition for you. The distinctive ping of gold caught Jacques's interest as the ferret dropped a paw full of twenty-dollar double eagles on the counter, as if they were low-value casino chips. Jacques's eyes lit up. A princely sum was more than he made in several months. It's simple, really. I need you to deliver a package for me. Isn't this a bit uh, overkill? I'm sure any newsboy could handle a simple delivery for a fraction of my price. Jack tapped the vulpine Lady Liberty's muzzle with his index claw as he plucked a coin off the counter. I'm not one to turn down easy money, but I strive to obey the law in my personal affairs. I have a certain code of honor, something I'm sure you understand. You're a street shooter, I can respect that. The ferret nervously fiddled with the gold signet ring that adorned his pinky finger. It ain't nothing legal. The contents are rather personal, if you catch my drift. And they have to be delivered tonight, capiche? I understand. While Jacques had gotten out of the courier business, he had spent the long summers of his childhood running his mother's pies to customers throughout Saint-Emilion. He was sure the skills were transferable. Bring out the package for my inspection, if you would. I'm going to be honest with you, Lablo. I'm in a heck of a position here. You'd really be doing me a favor. Jacques nodded as he slid the weighty pile of gold into the inner pocket of his jacket. Basal pleasure radiating through his cheeks at the thought of having obtained so many shiny objects. He carefully buttoned everything up tight as the ferret snapped its fingers. It's already wrapped up nice and snug for you. All you have to do is make the drop and scram. The wolf appeared with a silver cloche in one paw, the other holding a frozen beefsteak against his knee. He glared at Jacques as he set it on the bar with a loud clang before tugging the lid off to reveal a rectangular box covered in gilt silver wrapping paper. There were no markings on it to tip Jacques off to his contents. Sealed with a blue string knotted into a simple bow, it seemed innocuous enough. Jacques gave it his standard brief pre-delivery inspection, turning it over in his hands and giving it a quick shake. The contents were packed tight enough that nothing rattled around. C'est bon. And take this to the corner of Mulberry and Hester, said the ferret. You'll see a brownstone with a Triskelion on the gate. As for Giovanni, 
the doorman once you arrive. Get there before midnight or you'll be in the back of a pickle with Luca here. Doc rolled his eyes as the wolf growled menacingly. There's no need for concern. Doc stood up, carefully tucking the package inside the largest pocket of his trench coat. Took one last puff of his cigarette before extinguishing it in a chipped porcelain ashtray. Inspector Le Bleu, where we season the sand month through. Good. We'll be watching. Jack turned his head over his shoulder, but the ferret had already faded into the crowd. After finishing his drink, the blue jay turned up its color and headed out into the shabby bookstore that served as a front for the speakeasy. A watchful lynx sat behind the counter, sniffing through a dog-eared Agatha Christie novel. He seemed far more focused on the pedestrians outside than the exploits of Hercule Poirot. Though the moon was dim, cast-iron luminaries kept the streets lit with warm orange light. Jack paused on the sidewalk to get his bearings as he unfolded a tourist map. As he held it up to his beak to examine the small print street names, the intensifying roar of a straight-eight engine caught his attention. Jack threw himself backwards as a black luxury sedan hopped the curb and stopped where he'd been standing just a second ago. Watch where you're going, you maniac! Jack dusted himself off as the doors flew open. A brown rat in a pinstripe suit stepped into the driver's seat. Jack recognized him from the wanted posters as Eddie the Gouda Olson, the head of the Big Cheese Gang. Jack frowned as a hand darted to grab his trusty Model 1892 revolver from the shoulder holster where it usually rested. Hand over the dough, little bird. We know you's carrying a few large on our turf and we want a slice. Jack quickly ducked into an alleyway, squatting down behind a pair of garbage cans. Bits of brick stung Jack's cheek as the rat-a-tat of bullets from a tommy gun filled the air above him. Toss it out on the sidewalk and walk away. We don't want to pluck your feathers. I'll make you a deal. You go away, and I'll throw you on into the racket to cool off. Jacques returned fire, emptying the revolver cylinder into the windshield of the idling car. I may not have a pizza on me, but I'm happy to serve up a lead appetizer. As the rats leapt for cover, Jacques sprinted across the street toward a squat building lit up with thousands of multicolored bulbs. The Marquis proudly announced that the Orpheum Dance Palace featured the finest taxi dancers in all of New York, all for a dime a thrall. Jock dust inside, figuring he could buy himself some breathing room by hiding in the midst of the evening crowd. The lobby was cramped, the low ceiling and walls lined with posters doing nothing to abate Jock's claustrophobia. A cheetah in a fitted waist-length jacket and band collar occupied a booth at the center vibrating with energy. He poured himself another steaming cup of coffee from a thermos as Jacques approached. With a friendly nod of acknowledgement, he slid the cashier a shiny silver dime in exchange for a crisp paper ticket. Enjoy the dance, the cheetah said, giving him a flirtatious wink as Jacques ducked through the entrance. The interior's high ceiling gave it a palatial feel, a massive mural of terpsichore, festive lyre in hand, painted above the dance floor, reminding Jack of the finest palaces of Vienna. It was surrounded by smaller murals of nymphs and satyrs performing rustic dances. The walls were decorated with geometric forms the outlines gilded in twenty-four carat gold. Enormous crystal chandeliers cast electric light on the dancers below. Jock blended in perfectly. The patrons came from all walks of life, ranging from a high-class businessman with neckties half askew to vibrant young blue jackets with dance moves fresh from Pacific naval postings. 
It was easy to spot the taxi dancers, all dressed to the nines with gentlemen in black tie and ladies in the finest winter fashions from Fifth Avenue designers. Hey there, little bird. A snow leopard in a crispy pressed tuxedo playfully brushed Jock's shoulder as the song drew to a close. He had an air of refined power about him, like a sledgehammer cratted from sterling silver. His eyes were the color of a cashmere sapphire. Do you care for a dance? It's only a dime. Please, monsieur. Jacques appreciated the snow leopard's directness. He carefully plucked the ticket from Jacques' claws and neatly tore it in half. After tucking the other half behind Jacques' pocket square, he clasped his scaly fingers in his fluffy paws, enveloping them like a pair of luxurious mittens. By a happy accident, the snow leopard had placed himself between Jacques and the entrance. He blocked Gouda's line of sight as he slithered into the room. There was a pause in the music as the patrons switched partners or headed to the Cheeto to purchase additional dance tickets. As they waited, Jacques gave the snow leopard a casual sniff. His scent was pleasant, a melody of florals that gave him the feeling of being wrapped in warm towels. Jacques resisted the urge to stroke his fingers through the snow leopard's luxurious cheek ruffs as an announcer, a handsome fox in a bow tie, climbed up onto the stage. The announcer cleared his throat. Behind him there was a shuffling of papers as the orchestra changed scenes. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a special treat for you tonight. The Orpheum Dance Palace is proud to present Johnny Stiller and his good time band for the Texaco Ethel Power Hour. Please enjoy the debut of their new tune. The Circus Swing. There was a brief round of applause before a clarinet began to scream in the altissimo register and a thumping bass line kicked off the orchestra. The conductor, a distant relation of Benny Goodman, swung his baton with frenetic energy, flipping rapidly through the scorebook. The snow leopard led the dance, his experienced paws guiding Jock around the floor. He moved with gusto, perfectly attuned to the swung beats. Try to keep up. The snow leopard said with a teasing smirk. Jock faced him, the pair swinging their arms as they took two steps forward, two steps back, light on their feet with the energy of the music urging them onward. The tempo moved along with blazing intensity as the brass section shook the cathedral-like ceiling. Surrounded by hundreds of other pairs of every gender and species moving to the same rhythm, Jock caught only a brief glance of the civet in a rhinestone-studded dress and feather boa that stepped up to the microphone. Dance, dance, my friends, we're all clowns, and the circus is burning down. So let's dance, dance in a blazing light, shake those tails all through the night. The singer's husky voice poured into the chrome of ribbon microphone, top-end speakers radiating her voice into the crowd. Nothing got one's blood pounding like dancing to impress a stranger. The snow leopard's piercing blue eyes were locked on Jock as he whirled the blue jay around the dance floor, their movements perfectly synchronized. Dance, dance all your cares away. Don't feel too tempted by dismay. So let's dance, dance and never stop around the flaming circus top. Enjoying yourself? The snow leopard asked while lifting the bird off the ground for a brief moment. The trombonist slammed his side with gusto while the piano player's fingers raced across the keyboard. The pair shared a grin as they captured a prime position in the center of the action. Of course. Jacques caught Gouda out of the corner of his eye, scanning the dance from a vantage point atop a table piled high with libations in twinkling crystal glasses. While Jacques was fairly sure he would only have time for a single dance, the undercurrent of danger in the air made it all the more enjoyable. 
"'Tis not often I have a dance partner of such caliber as yourself. "'It's not often I have the pleasure to dance with a Frenchman.' "'Finally, with a petite flourish from the clarinetist, the music came to a close. "'A great commotion came over the dance floor as the scramble for fresh partners began.' That was quite exhilarating, the snow leopard grinned, flashing his pearly white canines. Consider the next dance on the house. I'll have to take an eye on you on that dance. Jock gave the snow leopard a graceful bow, for he had time to rise up. The snow leopard slid a piece of paper up Jock's sleeve. Will you be working later tonight? Well, I get off at two. Jock couldn't see Gouda, but his detective senses told him the rat was closing in on him. He didn't have much time to spare for chit-chat. Ask the ticker seller for Archie if you don't see me. This dance was but an amuse-bouche. You've left me hungry for more. I'll catch you later, Archie. With a flick of his tail feathers, Jacques ducked out a fire exit. A refreshingly chill breeze ruffled his feathers as he hobbled down the sidewalk keeping his head down to blend in with the haggard denizens returning home from the second shift. Jock took furtive glances toward the street behind him as he tried to evade the Gouda's notice. The Blue Jay leaned against a battered metal pole as he waited for the traffic light to change. He used the brief lull to check over the piece of paper. It was a coupon for a free dance, with a small heart scribbled in the corner in red ink. Jock chuckled and tucked it somewhere safe before turning his attention back to his surroundings. Neon signs lit up the skyline hawking cigarettes, coffee, and a thousand other new products of the post-war boom. Even at this hour, the streets were choked with traffic, filling the air with a thick chemical fog. Jacques narrowed his eyes as he caught a glimpse of the rat some distance away, nut-brown fur blending into the muted color palette of the crowd. The light changed, and the crowd swept him forward like a boat in a relentless current. Jacques kept moving, biding his time until the crowd began to thin out, once he could no longer rely on his fellow pedestrians for cover, the Blue Jay tossed a nickel onto the counter of a newsstand and grabbed the evening edition of the Times. He flipped it open, burying his beak in a story about corruption in President Harding's administration. Once he'd reached the middle of the block, Jacques ducked into the doorway of a round stone. He scanned the passerby over top of the newspaper, Gouda's gaze sliding right over him as he strolled past. As soon as Jacques figured the rat was a comfortable distance away, he neatly folded the paper and tucked it under his arm, just in case. He checked his wristwatch and confirmed that he had still plenty of time to deliver the package before midnight. She really think he'd give us the slip that easily? A mouse in a threadbare suit with several hastily applied patches on the elbows and knees leveled a rust-pitted revolver at Jacques. His breath smelled like cheap coffee and stale donuts. You's not getting away that easy, bird brain. Drop your gat and kick it over nice and easy. Not a moment later, the rest of the big cheese gang rolled up, their motor car now sans windshield. They climbed out and assembled as Gouda jogged up, panting and red-faced. Jock complied, gingerly setting his revolver on the concrete and sending it their way. He grimaced, beat closed tight as the burl wood grip scraped across the shoddily laid concrete. Now hand over that package, Gouda said while glaring at Jock. While he estimated he might be able to take the rodents in a straight fight, criminals rarely fought fairly. This situation would require a triumph of intellect. And make it snappy. We ain't got all night. 
Of course. Jack reached into his jacket and retrieved a single gold coin in his pack of cigarettes. He held the coin by its edge, allowing the luster to entrance the rats. But first I'd like to offer my congratulations. It seems I've been taken down by an expert team. Let me give the best tracker among you this coin with my sincere compliments. I'll be taking that gold, Gouda held out his paw expectantly. What do you think you're doing? I found him, not you. The mouse slapped Gouda's paw down as he puffed up his chest. Jack thought he looked more ridiculous than intimidating. That gold is mine, Gouda. You're acting like a total first bucket, you know that. Hey, I'm the one that pointed out that Boyd. A black rat, weighty enough that the sedan springs creaked as he stepped out from the passenger seat, gestured at both of them. Jack took a deep draw on his cigarette as he watched them start to squabble. The tip glowed like a tiny ruby. I need a new Tommy gun, bub, and you're not getting in the way of that. Jack casually tossed the coin on the pavement and crossed his arms. Please, gentlemen, there's no need to fight. I'm sure you can all settle this little dispute with words, right? I don't need no stinking words to prove I'm tougher than all of you. The black rat cracked his knuckles before tackling Gouda. Hostile scowls were exchanged for a moment before the big cheese gang descended into a cartoonish brawl. Casually whistling La Marseillaise as he strolled away, Jacques grabbed his revolver and tucked it back where it belonged. After more blocks than he cared to walk, having failed to spot a single cab available for hire, he reached a well-maintained brownstone townhouse on the corner of Hester Street. A cast-iron gate bore a golden Tuskelion engraved on its elaborate lock. Pushing it aside, Jock ascended the stairs. Mon Dieu. The knocker was grotesque. A gorgon's head rendered in such exquisite detail, Jock felt his muscles turn to stone. As Luigi froze, contemplating his next move, the door flew open. A ferret of unusual height and musculature grabbed him by the lapels of his coat and lifted him off the doormat. What do you think you're doing coming around here at this hour? Jock sighed. He was beginning to tire of this assignment. Better start squawking the bird. I have a package tucked inside my coat. I was told to ask for Giovanni when I arrived here. Jacques peeked over the ferret's shoulder. The interior was richly decorated with parquet flooring and deep blue wallpaper. A 17th century Flemish tapestry adorned the wall opposite the wide staircase. Could you unend me, please? I prefer being airborne under my own power. Grazie, Giovanni, you can let the bird down. An elderly ferret with gold-filled eyeglasses peered curiously at him. Her tawny fur had turned platinum, with only a few patches of brown remaining around her mask. Although her eyes were clouded with cataracts, a sharp wit was evident in her smile. A package, you say? It is awfully late for a delivery. I am not the Pony Express. Giovanni brusquely dropped Jock onto the doormat. He dusted himself off, adjusting his collar before pulling the package out. The grandfather clock in the hallway chimed a pleasant melody as it struck twelve. Someone desperately wanted this delivery made before midnight, and I have never broken the promise. Just in time. With fingers gnarled with rheumatism, the ferret struggled to undo the string. Giovanni flicked open a switchblade. 
With a deft cut, the string drifted lazily down to the floor, the wrapping paper following a moment later. Inside lay a bouquet of flawless white lilies, bound with artificial silk. Bringing them close to her muzzle, the ferret took a deep whiff. Wordlessly, Giovanni disappeared into the parlor. These take me back to the old country. My son sent you, didn't he? Of course. Giovanni returned with a crisp vase filled with water. The ferret slipped the lilies inside and set them in a place of honor on a circular oak. The ferret slipped the lilies inside and then set them on a place of honor on a circular mahogany table inlaid with an ivory crucifix. I was beginning to worry he'd forgotten Le Festa de la Mama this year. Do you have a name, kind delivery man? Le Bleu, Jacques Le Bleu, over the service. Jacques gave her a crisp military salute. Would you like to come in for some coffee? Signora Le Bleu. The ferret waved her paw toward the parlor. I can have Giovanni make you a cup of espresso. It's a brick out there. Jacques sighed. Could I take it to go? I am sure I would have a most delightful conversation with you, madame, but I promised I would meet someone tonight. The dancer closes at two, and I wouldn't want to miss him. I understand I was a young Jill once, you know. The ferret pressed a small enameled tin into Jock's hand as Giovanni returned with a steaming bakelite cup. Please take a little sustenance for your journey. No one leaves Signor de Civello's home on an empty stomach. Merci beaucoup. Enjoy the flowers, madame. Jock gave her a polite nod before he headed out in the refreshing night air. He took a sip of the steaming coffee as he stood on the stoop, savoring the atmosphere of Gotham. Then, with a spring in his step, he set off back toward the Orpheum Dance Palace. Gah! After two steps, Jacques felt pain shoot up his inner thigh. While his spirit was willing, his body had less to give. Resting a hand on his cane, he took a deep breath of the cool night air. Jacques twiddled one of the gold coins between his fingers as he stuffed his beak with sweet, licorice-flavored cookies. All he wanted to do was dance his cares away with Archie, and with twenty dollars he could do it his heart's content. Jock supposed making a delivery wasn't a half-bad way to spend an evening. This was Making a Delivery by Thomas Foe Steele, read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.